At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. Also, while you're turning there, I want to give you a quick update. I know that uh, many of you joined us this last week in praying for the believers and for the church and for the country of Ukraine as they've been walking through these um, difficult days. And I know you've seen the images and um, I, I, I know many of you have been praying, but I wanted to give you just a praise report um, today. I know last week we talked about the, the crisis fund that we were raising money for that we're going to go directly to help those that are in need. And we set a goal for $20,000. And some of you may have got the email this week. Uh, we actually brought in so far $76,000. Can we give God praise for that? $76,000. Now, those, those gifts, uh, we've been in touch with Pastor Igor on the ground, and uh, we are, some of those monies have already gotten to him and helping him in that effort, but we're also working through uh, the SEND network um, to make sure that um, the, the things that are needed there on the ground are being cared for. So thank you so much. It is a beautiful thing for uh, the church to be the church when we see needs and we're able to respond in those real ways. And so if you want to continue to give, you can, but I would just want to encourage you to continue to pray for them, pray for the country, pray for the believers, and pray that God would bring peace in this situation. All right, this morning, as we're looking at our text, you know, over the past several weeks, if you've been with us, we've been tracking through the biblical account of Jonah. We've been watching and seeing how God interacts with one of his children. And remember, Jonah was set aside by God to be a prophet. So his role in life was to go to the people God told him to go and tell the message that God told him to tell. So it was a simple thing. God says, you go here and you say this. It was a very simple thing, very easy transactional kind of thing. Well, God told Jonah one time to go to Nineveh, which was a, a pagan country, a pagan people. And um, he told him to go and with a message. And we see that, that Jonah becomes angry at God and becomes defiant against God and refuses to obey God's commands. And so he goes and he runs away and uh, gets on a ship as he's fleeing from the Lord, and the Lord causes a great storm to come up, and uh, next thing happens, Jonah gets thrown overboard, and right at the same time, a big, huge fish comes and swallows Jonah, and Jonah is in the belly of that fish for three days, and while he's in the belly of the fish for three days, he comes to his senses. And where we left off last week is Jonah prays to the Lord, he confesses his sin before the Lord, and the Lord is gracious enough, and he gets vomited on dry ground from that fish. So that's where we're at. Beautiful story so far. But today, as we look at this text, what I want us to really focus in on, I, I want us, as we, we look at the text together, is I want us to see ourselves by it, two of the characters that are here. Okay? I, don't want to, I don't want you to see yourself as God, okay? so take that off. You're not God, so don't see yourself as that. But I want you to take the place of Jonah, as we've been doing this through the series so far. Take the place of Jonah, but then I also want us to see ourselves as the Ninevites. Sometimes we come to the text, we come to the word of God, and we always want to see ourselves as the hero. Right? Sometimes we, we want to see ourselves as the one that, that's doing the great work, not the one that has done the great harm. 
And so try to see, as, and I'm not going to really pull that out completely, but I want you to see in those two lanes that it's possible for us to be Jonah, and it's also possible for us to be the Ninevites. And today, as we look at the text, what we're going to consider is the power that is unleashed when we repent. I want you to let that rest on you just for a moment. There's a great and amazing power that is unleashed. The power of God is unleashed in us when we repent. This week I was doing some research and I came across the story that took place in January of 1907. A revival broke out at a Bible conference in Pyongyang, now the capital of North Korea. Those that were there were Christians. They gathered together, and while they were meeting, while they were praying, and while they were preaching, uh, the pastor that was preaching preached a message of repentance. He called the people to repent. He called these Korean believers to repent. And specifically, he called them to repent of their racial hatred towards the Japanese. And though these believers had believed in God up to that point, this message of repentance rested on them, made them very uncomfortable, and they began to repent. They repented of their hatred towards their Japanese neighbors. And so as they left from this place, they continued to live in repentance, and they went to their neighbors that they had stole stuff from, and they had given it back. They went to their neighbors and those that they had hated and they began to serve their neighbors. And over the course of the year, the church in this area doubled in size and was made up of not only Koreans, but it was made up of Japanese as well. Because as these believers lived selfless lives, lived lives of serving those whom they hated at one time and now began to love, they began to come together as one. That's the power of repentance. God uses our repentance to change things. And so I want us to see this today in the word of God as we walk through this passage. We're going to have be front row witnesses to the spiritual movement that takes place in the ancient city of Nineveh. And we'll know this as well at the heart of every spiritual awakening that has happened throughout history. It began with repentance. So today what we're going to see is that God responds to repentance. So then we must ask ourselves, okay, so if God responds to repentance, what then is true repentance? I'll tell you this. I'll give you a couple of keys and then we'll move into the text and we'll see it playing out. You see, repentance is not a feeling of remorse. Repentance is not feeling guilty when you got found out because of what you've done. Repentance is not feeling sorry. Repentance is not even confessing what you've done wrong. Repentance involves turning from your sin and turning to God. That's repentance. Right? It's the, it's the next step. Yeah, we start to feel guilt for the things that we've done. That comes from the Lord. Remember, shame does not come from the Lord, but guilt comes from the Lord. Right? We, we realize that we've sinned, and then we can confess that sin to the Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm wrong, but then repentance is turning to go a different direction. I think sometimes as believers, we get stuck at step two. 
right? We feel bad for the things that we've done. We realize that, that we've messed up. And then we go and we confess it to the Lord. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. But then we keep going the same direction. That's not full repentance. Repentance is now turning and walking in a different way. So we turn from our sin and turn to God. In this chapter that we're going to, chapter four of, I'm sorry, chapter three of Jonah, what we're going to see in verses eight and 10, through eight and 10, the word repentance shows up four times. And as we look at Jonah chapter three today, what we're going to see is the process of repentance is a three-step process. We're going to see there are three things that begin in this uh, steps towards repentance. And the first what we're going to see is that repentance begins with hearing the word. Repentance begins with hearing the word. Look with me in Jonah chapter three, beginning in verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city and going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them to the least of them. What we see is that repentance begins with hearing the word of the Lord. Jonah had just been vomited out of the belly of the fish. And as soon as he is on dry dry ground, the word of the Lord comes to him again, a second time. And what's amazing about this, and I want us to see this too, as Jonah, as we're taking the role of Jonah we need to be reminded that God is the God of second chances, right? Jonah had disobeyed God. Jonah had taken himself off saying, hey, I no longer wanna be a representative of God. I no longer wanna be a prophet. And now because of God's graces worked in his life, God comes to him and says, I'm not done with you yet. Jonah, rise and go back to Nineveh. It's as though he's giving him a second chance. It's interesting that the, here we see the first two verses of chapter three are almost the same as the first two verses of chapter one, except this time there's one change. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he says, go and proclaim the message that I tell you. Jonah did not have the freedom to select the message Jonah did not have the freedom to tell him about his experience. He did not be able to decide the content of his preaching. This repentance that was going to come to the people of Nineveh wasn't going to come through the words of Jonah. They were going to come because the power of the word of God. Let us not miss that. Jonah was not going there with a message that he could create because if it was, remember Jonah has deep hatred for the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't like them. He wants them to be completely destroyed. And so if he goes, he he could have gone and he could have said any message. God hates you. That's what I would have said if I was gonna go to those that I hated. But instead, 
the word of the Lord comes to him and says, go and tell them what I tell you. I will give you the words to say. So now Jonah goes and he obeys the Lord. And we see in this, this text that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Now, I think what the, the Hebrew here is, is trying to get at, not so much the, the, the size of Nineveh, though it was a great city. What we see here, though, in the way that it's, it's written in the Hebrew is more that God is trying to get to the significance of this city. This city was deeply significant in the plans of God. God has saw the sin of Nineveh, and yet God, in this great pagan city, God had a heart for them. God did not want to leave them in their evil and in their pagan practices, but God wanted to come and extend to them this offer of repentance. So Jonah entered the city, and he shared the word of the Lord with the people. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's only seven words in Hebrew. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What a simple message. Actually, what a simply terrifying message. Right? The message isn't complicated. The, the message isn't rocket science. It's not something that, that Jonah needed to go and get a theology degree for 18 years. The message was simple. Yet 40 days. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You see, Jonah's job, his only job, was to deliver the message and leave the results up to God. That's it. Up to this point in their lives, and we're looking at the Ninevites now, the Ninevites have been going about their lives, doing what seemed right in their own eyes. And by doing that, by doing right in their own eyes, it had led to much evil. It had led to much violence. And now the power of the word of God comes to them. You see, we can't expect the Ninevites to act any different. They didn't know any better. They were just living what seemed right in their own eyes. And so they didn't know the difference between right and wrong completely. I mean, there's a, a certain code that's written on our hearts. But they didn't know. And so we can't expect the Ninevites to act any different. So now that the word of the Lord comes to them, now they can see the error of their ways. Let's look at the content of the message. The content of the message is a dangerous, uh, <laughs> scary thing. Is that you, your people, from top to bottom, all of you are about to be over throne you have become God's enemy God has you clearly in his sights and judgment is coming you are going to have to come and give an account for all the things that you've said all the things that you've done all the things that you've thought and God in his terror is coming and you are going to be completely overthrown not just politically but everything about their lives was about to be overthrown in essence, this is a message of saying to the people of Nineveh, you are not okay. You are not good. You are heading towards destruction. What an offensive message. Right? What a completely offensive message to these people that had their whole culture and their whole society centered on and built upon their sin. 
And for Jonah to come with a message of the Lord saying, you are not okay. You are about to be overthrown. I can just imagine those Ninevites, like if they were here today, they'd be like, what? Who are you? Who are you to say that I'm not okay? Right? I'm okay. Things are good. Everything's fine. I don't need this God in my life. Remember the beginning of the New Testament because the message really hasn't changed from the time of Jonah to the time of Jesus. Remember the message that John the Baptist preached, this simply terrifying message? He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Right? The kingdom of God is God is establishing his kingdom. It's going to come in power and it's going to come in might and it's going to come and people are going to be overthrown. Kingdoms are going to be torn down because this kingdom is going to rise up. What a simply terrifying message. Remember the message of Jesus when he began his ministry? This is what he said in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus preached the same message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of God. The king is coming. And when the king comes, he's not coming in a, as a gentle uh, little lamb. He's coming as a conquering king. And those that are unwilling to bow to him will be discarded. This message of repentance is a message to turn from your self-centeredness, turn from your self-sufficient lives, and turn to Jesus. This is the message that we have. We, our message is not, hey, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. Our message is there's coming a time where you will stand before God and give an account for your sin. And you'll have to give an account for what you did with Jesus. Either you made Jesus your Savior and Lord or you rejected Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, then you're going to be headed towards a life of absolute destruction for all eternity. But you see this simply terrifying message that, that we have? also comes with an extreme amount of love. Remember what Jesus said as he's talking to Nicodemus that one night. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, this is our message. This is in what we believe. We believe that Jesus died in our place he took our wrath, he took everything for our sin and has given us new life. And it comes because God loves the world. Now, Paul says about this gospel in Romans chapter one, verse 16, this word of the Lord. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The message that we preach, the message that we speak, the message that we live is highly offensive to rebels of God. Do you remember in your own life before you became a believer how the gospel rested in your life? I mean, some of you, I'm sure you heard it at a young age and you're like, I want to believe this. But some of you, you fought it. Some of you are like, I can't, what do you mean I'm not okay? What do you mean I'm not good? I mean, I do more good than I do bad. Right? Who is this Jesus? Why do I need to bow my knee to this Jesus? And you were offensive. The, the gospel was offensive to you, but now you have believed. 
And it wasn't because of, of how it was shared with you. It wasn't because your mom shared it with you or your dad shared it with you. It wasn't the messenger. It was the message that changed your heart. See, I love how the word has power. I'm going to read two passages to you. 2 Timothy chapter, four, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be competent and equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What we need in our lives and what our world needs today is the word of God. That has power. The world doesn't need your personality. The world doesn't need anything about who you are. What the world needs is the word of God because it is that power that has been breathed by God the word that has been breathed by God that goes out to the hearts of people that changes lives. It's what changed your life. It's what changed my life. It's what changed the Ninevites. It was clearly the word of God. So repentance begins with hearing the word of God. Now I wanna transition just for a second. We've been talking a little bit about being Jonah. Like we should be preaching repentance, but we should also be repenting. We should be coming to the word of God saying, word of God, use this over my life to see where I am being disobedient. Then when we come to the word of God and he shows us, we begin to repent. We repent of our actions. We repent of our attitudes. We repent of our feelings and our thoughts and all of those things because we come to the word of God. but we can't unless we come to the word of God. What place does the word of God have in your daily life? What place does the word of God have in your family? What place does the word of God have in your marriage? What place does the word of God have in relation to your finances or in the way that you live your life as a worker out in the world? How does the word of God impact every area of your life? You see, we can't repent until we hear the word of God, until we hear we're not okay. If you're not living a, a life during the week and the word of God is, is coming to you saying, you're not okay, you're not okay, you're not okay. Like you get that message from the world, right? We get that all the time. You're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough, you're not quick enough, you don't have enough money. That's what the world says. That's not what the word of God is doing in our lives. You see, the, all of the world is trying to tell you what you're not. What God is trying to show you is what you can be in him. What he wants to make you. You see, he has the power to change you. He has the power to make you like Jesus. But it begins by coming to the word of God and allowing his word to wash over us. So repentance begins with hearing the word. Second, I want us to see that repentance involves believing the word. Look with me in verse five. 
says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. What we see here is the first thing is after the people heard that they were about to be overthrown, the people believed God. And really what happens is the way we see this in in the text is the fact that um, it began actually with the king. The message had come to the king and the king responded to the message because he believed it. And this word believed is the same word that is used to talk about Abraham's belief in God when God came to him. Right? Remember, it was and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a saving faith. This is a saving belief that the Ninevites came to. And it happened because the word of God went out and they believed. But I also want you to see that this just didn't happen like in a vacuum. Right, that God's heart for the Ninevites had started years and years and years prior to that. You see, what has happened is the people of Nineveh, from the greatest of them, believed, but what had happened is God had been preparing them all along for the message. You see, in recent years, the, the Assyrians, which is their greater uh, people, had experienced a series of famines and plagues and revolts. There were even eclipses in the sun. All of these, the people of Nineveh saw as omens of far worse things to come. And so all of these hardships that they went through made them more attuned, made them more aware of the message of this visiting prophet. You see, they could tell because of the way that they were living in their own lives that doom was coming towards them, that danger was coming. And now this prophet shows up with this message that they're about to be overthrown and they lose their minds. Because they hear the word of God and they believe it. I see God doing something similar in our day. Right? People that were once resistant to the gospel are now receptive. People that had lived self-sufficient lives, self-centered lives, now see that there's no security, there's no hope in those things. And now as you go to the, the gas pump and it's soon it might be like $7, to fill like $7 a gallon, right? You're like, wait a minute, that's gonna have a direct impact on my bank account. As we go to the store and food prices are now rising, I I want us to understand people that we are not self-sufficient. We are not self-reliant. That all of the things that we have might go away. I'm sure that the believers in the Ukraine two months ago were living just a normal life, going about their day-to-day things. And now many of them are are hiding because they're being bombed from above. Safety and freedom are very fragile. And brothers and sisters, our lives that we're living right now are very, very fragile. And God is using the events of our history to make people aware that they are in need. but they're not gonna know unless we preach the words of repentance. I love the picture that we see here of repentance. 
God has prepared the people. They hear the message from the very, very poor to the very, very rich, and it's a wholesale belief in this message. But I love how, even in our own lives, that repentance is not something that we just do at the moment of salvation. You don't just come to hear the word of God, you repent, and you're like, okay, I'm good. No, we live lives of repentance. Right? Salvation is one thing. We're already saved. We don't have to worry about that. But for the believer, our walk is repentance. When we come to the word of God, we hear it, we believe it. This is true. This is the way you want me to live, Lord. Like, you want me to to save sex until I'm married. Okay, Lord, I hear you. That's the best way. Lord, you want me to stay in my marriage because it's a covenant? Yes. Lord, you want me to work hard for a boss that I hate or a boss that hates me? Yes. This is the way that the Lord wants us to live. And when we see ourselves outside of that, our response should be to repent. See, in repentance, what we're doing is we're changing our belief system. We're changing the source of what we believe, and we're transitioning from believing in ourselves or believing in these things to believing in God. That's what repentance is. Believing that God's word and God's way is better than the world's way. It's a change in belief. So repentance involves believing the word. Third, repentance requires responding to the word. Look with me in verse six. It says, the word had reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout all of Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they had did, how they had turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster and he said he would, that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. You see, repentance requires us to respond to the word of God. The word comes to the king and he realizes the desperate situation that he's in, but also the people that he serves are in. And so he calls out for all of them to respond through repentance, to turn from the evil that they were doing, not only feel it in their their bones, but to actually change their behavior. And as the king gets off of his throne, he takes off of his royal garments and then takes on sackcloth and then sits down in ashes. This is a king that gives up his place among the people and becomes one of the people. In essence, he's saying, I'm no better than you. I have sinned just like you have sinned. And so I'm taking off all of the things that the world has said that I'm an important person and now I'm sitting down in ashes. Sackcloth and ashes, sitting in ashes is an outward admittance of the mess 
that he has made. He, he's sitting, it's, it's, it's kind of like an outward expression of what is taking place on the inside. And what he's saying is he's sitting there in sackcloth and ashes. He's saying, look at what mess I've made. All of my sin, all of the things that I've been working towards, all the things that I've been living for, all the goals that I've set for my life and for the kingdom now are nothing but ash. They mean nothing. Any of your work apart from the work of God in your life is nothing but ash. It's not going to withstand the test of time. It's not going to withstand the judgment of God when he says, what have you done? And so the king and the people call out mightily to God. And in their fasts, so they're, what, they're, what they're doing is they're sitting there saying, look at the mess that I've made. And then they're refusing to eat because they want to feel the pain. They want to feel the need for God. You and I are hungry and thirsty all the time. Have you ever thought that your, your need for hunger and thirst is really a quest for God? Right? Because if you don't have food and you don't have water, what happens to you? You die. If you don't have God, what happens to you? You die. So we see this repentance changed their minds, but it also changed their obedience. They turned from all of their old ways of living. I remember growing up, my pastor would use this illustration um, often in his sermons, and I'm sure some of you are like, yeah, you use the same ones over and over again too. But if they're good, you know, don't, don't need to change them, right? Well, my pastor used to talk about, imagine you're, you're a child and you're living in your parents' house and you're washing dishes. And you happen to break one of the dishes while you're washing them. And you feel bad. And so you go to your mom. You're like, mom, I'm so sorry I broke the dish. I'm so sorry I broke the dish. She's like, ah, it's, it's okay. We got other dishes. And then you're back there and you're washing dishes again. And guess what? You break another one. And you go back and you're like, mom, I'm so sorry. Mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. She's like, it's okay. We got another one. And then you break another one. And then you break another one. And then you break another one. And then at what point, like my pastor would say, at what point, like, do, is there really a problem? Is there really repentance? Right? At, at what point? How many dishes have to be broke until there's repentance in the child's heart? And that's what he would kind of leave with. And I want to make that illustration better. Because I've been thinking about that, and that's always struggled. That I've always wrestled with that because I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Like, if I continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, and continue to get the same results, like, where's the heart change? And I think I have the key: stop washing dishes. <laughs> right? <laughs> stop. Like, go vacuum the living room. There aren't any dishes there. Right? That's repentance. Repentance is, I've been doing this. I've been trying with all of my might to please my mom and to clean the dishes. Well, guess what? You stink at cleaning dishes, so stop it. Get out of the kitchen. Change your mind. Change your heart. Turn to the Lord and say, Lord, look at the mess that I've made. And then what do you want me to do? He'll say, Go vacuum. It's that simple. If you keep, if you're in this cycle of habitual sin over and over and over again, you're not going to get out by staying in it. What you got to do is you got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I have messed up. I have made this big, nasty mess. And we read his words 
And his words begins to change us. And then we ask him to change our behavior. Right? There's power in the word of God. Now, I don't know, as you've been listening here today, I, I have to believe the spirit has been working. Like you've been hearing from him. He's inside of your heart. He's, he's there. He's been telling you things. And maybe like you need to respond to the message today, not just through confession, but you need to repent. And what we're going to do, we're going to end our time together this morning um, in, in more of a contemplative way. So we will have, uh, Ryan's going to come and he's going to, to lead us in a song. And really what I want us to do during that time, I want us to listen to the words of the song. And if you feel like singing, you can stand, you can sing too. Maybe what you need to do is the chair that's right there before you, maybe you need to make that an altar. Where you come before the Lord and you do business between you and the Lord. Where you know there's something not right in your heart. You know that there's something, some way in which you're living outside of God's design for your life. Make that an altar right in front of you and you just do your business. Or you can come here. Come down to what we call this in, in old church life as the altar. Like there's nothing special about the steps here, but there's sometimes we need to change our posture before the Lord. We need to get up from your seat and come low before the Lord. Because I, I love this. Look at how our worship center is designed, right? The floor is slanted. So it's almost as though the lower you become, the higher our praises go. Have you ever rec recognized that? It's, I love the architecture of this building. And you know what's at the top of the building up there? A big old cross, right? So as we become low, our praises go higher and he is glorified. So maybe you need to come here or maybe we do have our prayer team that is available. They're gonna be available right over here. If during this song you need prayer or you want someone to pray with you, they're available. But let us not just take the message of the Lord. Like you've heard the word of the Lord today. And now it's our time to respond by changing our mind, allowing him to change our hearts so that we can change the way that we live. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We know that they are true and we know that you are good. Father, help us to be reminded again that outside of your will, outside of your ways, there's great danger. But Father, when we come to you, in confession and repentance, there's great power that is released. So Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you and you've been working in their lives and you're calling them to salvation, I pray God that they would respond by calling on your great name. And Father, today, if there's someone that you've been working in and they've been struggling in their sin, today I pray that through confession, and repentance. They can begin that new journey with you. Help us, Father, to not feel and live as though we've got it all together, but Father, that we would live as though you are our Savior and that you are our Lord. And so, Father, in this moment, do the work in each one of our hearts that you desire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.